0: Welcome to episode thirty-four of the Cinematography Podcast. Yay! Here we are. Hey. Uh, I am Ben Rock, and I'm Ilya Friedman, and uh, we're very excited to bring uh, a really kick-ass interview to you, uh, Ilya. Tell us about the interview because you conducted it.
1: That's right. Uh, this interview is with a very talented director named Lige Sarki, and uh, Lige has done. He's multi-talented. Hyphenid. He's done a lot of different things: a producer and uh, and. In this movie, he is the director and producer, and
0: uh, and and you had a little something, to, something, something to do with this movie, right?
1: I did. I I, I came in as an executive producer, and I. Uh,
0: so you I, just walked around on set and told everybody what they were doing was wrong, and like you said,
1: why why isn't there better food at craft
0: service and stuff? Well, no, what'd that, you do?
1: That, that's my joke about you. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but no, it's not a joke. It's a documentary. <laughs> Uh anyway, no, this is a fantastic movie. Uh is gonna tell everyone about it like in the first few seconds of the uh the interview. So I don't wanna you know
0: well, what can you tell us the title of the movie?
1: The title of the movie is called Concrete Kids, and if you want to go see it, you can watch it. Right now on Amazon Prime, if you've got Amazon Prime, uh Concrete Kids, and it's a fun movie. It's all told in one night. It's sort of uh an after hours uh with uh preteen skateboarders and it's uh it's it's exciting. It's got a little bit of everything in it.
0: All right, well, here we go. It is your interview with Lige Sarki. The
1: Cinematography Podcast Interview Lige Sarki, thank you so much for coming on the Cinematography Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Ilya. It's good to see you.
1: <laughs> it's good to see you. Hey, uh, you just had a movie come out. I did, yeah. <laughs> Uh,
2: tell our listeners a little bit about Concrete Kids. Concrete Kids, Concrete Kids. You know, somebody that watched it, uh, actually, it was somebody at the orchard that watched it, that called it Goonies on skateboards. So I've kind of rolled with that ever since. That sounds like a fair uh, assessment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun adventure. You know, one night, two kids basically traverse Los Angeles on skateboards, and one has a a mission he's trying to accomplish, and he bribes the other one to to join him. Um, not really telling them the real reason and they go off and you know they bomb hills and ride trains and buses and run from crazy people and and how old are they knife fights and <laughs> now they're, uh, they're nine. Wow, so two nine-year olds.
1: You and I first met, I think a little more than three years ago now. You gave me the script and uh, it, it was one of the best things I, I'd ever read. So uh, I, I really got excited about it. Talk a little bit about the process uh, from that point. Like, uh, how does how do
2: you go from uh, script stage into production in a relatively short period of time? The reason that I think we can move fast with this one was because I didn't really want a lot of help. So we wanted to do it. Like, it wasn't even going to be a, a scripted, movie it started off with like this artistic montage of moments of these two two young kids trying to get across a city at night and just having these like different you know street corners and streets and just stuff that I felt like I used to do when I was a kid and uh I was gonna do this like art piece about it and then I this script ended up happening through like continuous ideas of well maybe let's try this and we'll see if this works and and the script turned out all right and we were happy with it and the only holdup was finding the right kids and finding a little bit of cash, just a little bit, because we needed to, to I needed to pay some people to help me. But um, we didn't want uh, I want I wanted a really small crew and just to keep it real intimate and kind of do this as freestyle as we could.
1: So when you say small crew, that that could be 100 people, that could be 30 people, <laughs> that could be five people. What, what, when Now, this, this is a narrative feature film. What, what, what was your crew
2: like? I had a DP and I had a sound mixer and I had two producers that acted as- um, Production assistants. <laughs> that acted as production assistants, basically. I mean, they, one of them was kind of responsible for the kids mm-hmm. to make sure they didn't, I didn't kill them and they didn't kill me. They couldn't kill me, but um, <laughs> that I didn't kill them and that they were fed. And then the other one kind of helped me navigate different locations and, and kind of the city itself of like stopping a car when we needed to stop a car and, and some of that kind of stuff. And then we had one parent mm-hmm. that was very supportive. A, a couple kind of came in here and there, but I want to say one, Miles' dad, Jules, who was very integral in this because he, he brought the boys up and, and brought them back home every night and stuck around a lot too. But that, that was it. We had the, no support for any of the departments. None, oh, yeah. I had an art person that came on and helped with some of the interior stuff that we had a couple of days. So she set up before we got there and then we, it would be ready to go and we shot and, but really it was only like a, one, two, a f- one, two, three, four person crew with a parent and a teacher that spent a lot of time sleeping in a car.
1: <laughs> All right. So, so basically you could count the entire, the entire crew on one hand many times and on two hands, maybe the rest of the time. Uh, now this movie doesn't look like it was made by five people uh, it rolled around LA. It looks, it looks like a million bucks. It looks like millions were spent on it. It has extremely high production value. And, uh, for me, that, that was, that was another big reason that I was really interested in what you were doing is because the way that you were describing doing this, this project is the way I feel now only really possible with the latest sort of modern technology, uh, Tell me about your vision for the movie and if you felt like you achieved it.
2: I think I was a little inspired by, you know, Sean Baker and Tangerine. And I knew he had a small crew doing that. And I'm always a natural light kind of guy. So what can we see at night? And well, it's kind of hard to see at night. And when we started playing around with cameras, the, the Panasonic, Vericam, LT, uh, Todd Bell showed me a, a clip or something on Vimeo. And what you could see at night was crazy. I can't we tested it we shot a little bit by my house just down by the Venice Pier and it was pretty wild you know and uh, I'm not super technical when it comes to lighting you know like I came up making movies from the ground so like I know every a little bit about everything you know but I'm not like super super technical so I you know I trust the guys that know what they're doing and they're like yeah, man, we can just do this and use the streets. And and then Duran came on who I'd made a short film with before. And he was really confident in that camera and what he could do out there. And we, we knew that we didn't, we could just use what was out there to light this movie because of the power of the camera, especially, but you know, also you need a guy that knows what he's doing behind the lens. So 100%. Yeah. 100% you need to have
1: uh, someone who knows the tools, who knows what they're what they're doing, and and how to make it happen. Uh, do you feel like uh, now that it's all done and it's and it's out, uh, did you get what you were going for? Is it, I mean, I, you're you're happy with it?
2: Yeah, I'm stoked on it. I mean, I've made all kinds of movies. You know, I've made just shot one that was several million dollars to make, and I've made a bunch of them that were under half a million bucks. And what we did with this one is amazing. Like what it what it looks like, and you know how good it is and how good the kids were and how good all the actors were that came and showed up and, and played parts it's i'm stoked on it i mean of course i had something in my head before we shot it that did it turn out like that no but it never does i'm i'm really happy i think it looks really good you know it's i'd put it up there
1: yeah i, I would too i i mean no need to be modest it, it looks it looks like a million bucks yeah. it looks fantastic uh, now casting was of course really really crucial for for the leads in this project um Tell us a little bit about what that hunt was like. I know it was. I know it wasn't easy.
2: No, that took a while. That took. You know, I had actually had a couple kids that I liked a lot that I, I basically was going to work with, and through rehearsals, we we just all kind of agreed that it wasn't going to work. You know, these kids were supposed to be, or at least one of them was supposed to be from the rougher side of the neighborhood, and and I want to. I, I love working with people that aren't actors because. If you can get them to be themselves on camera, you get the best authentic performances ever, you know. Um, And kids especially, they don't really know how to act that haven't acted, they'll just kind of be themselves. But the closest I got to what I wrote wasn't necessarily showing up and learning their lines like I needed them to. So Heidi Lemon, who's a Venice woman, who's rad, who like, I got hooked up with through another friend of mine. She helped me find, she told me about a couple boys that she knew from down South, like one Huntington beach and one in long beach that, you know, hundred tries later I, I met these kids and one at a time actually. And, uh, Had them do this couple scenes together, and 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 they were pretty good, you know. I ended up flopping one to the other role, and but they showed up. They were all about it, you know. They were stoked. They were like, "I'll be in a movie," you know. But they they learned that one of them's. They're both very smart. Um, One of them could learn lines really easily. The other one was so passionate about it, and works like skaters, man. They'll they'll sit and try a trick for days till they land it. So you know they're gonna learn lines till they get it, and they're gonna do scenes till they need to, and we're gonna be out there and there's no quitting you know it's all there's a mentality that goes with skateboarding that kind of transcends into a lot of stuff if you let it you know so young skaters to play skaters was the only way to go with this you're talking as a skater yourself of course too so uh for you i remember early conversations
1: you told me how the skating had to be authentic The, the, uh, the skating had to be authentic Even more to you than 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 maybe the the acting had to be authentic, but the skating had like you were like, you know, people are gonna watch this and they're gonna tell immediately if we're faked out the skating. And there's no faking in the skating. It's all it's all it's all legit through the whole thing.
2: Yeah, and I mean imagine how hard it would be to put like stunt skaters in there and have it look like it was the same kid. It'd just be impossible. And you lose me every time I watch something that's like, even if a guy holds his board wrong, you're like, ah. They screwed that one up. I feel like as a skateboarder and skateboarders, I know if you, it's a tough audience, you know, and if you do it wrong and I hope I did it right. You know, I've talked to some guys that, you know, that apparently think it's rad and, and that are into it. And, but you never know. And I don't want to assume I, I got it right. I, I'm okay with how I did it. And that's a big deal because I'm super, super picky, but um, you never know how everybody's going to react. But that, I think the industry, and I want to speak for it as a whole is, it's very particular on how you represent skateboarding and if you screw it up you'll know it and you'll lose them real quick and uh they won't keep it to themselves they'll tell you (laughs) they won't keep it to themselves you know like i made this short film called belong that ended up getting a lot of presents you know the barracks put it up and transworld put it up and and at some point you know louie elliott who's in the in the short he showed me this movie On his phone one day he's like you're not gonna he was so worried about what i was going to do because i hadn't made anything before and i was just trust me man i'm not going to make this look bad it's it's going to be cool it's going to be authentic and and whatever it's like not going to cheese it out and he showed me this movie of hard flip was the name of the movie and it was like oh my god no i'm not making anything like this dude trust me it's not but yeah they don't want to be in something that's going to wind up questionable so i i mean i like i said i don't want to assume I did it right. It's for everybody else to say, but I think you did it right. You got it You're right. not a skater. So. I'm not,
1: I'm not a skater. Not at all. So, <laughs> so, so you that, can't say so that. I, but I'm, somebody I'm the, will say I'm the poser on the outside telling you that. It's <laughs> I wonder how many skaters listen to your podcast. <laughs> well, uh, we sold a bunch of those Kodak decks. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, maybe a few, uh, yeah. we're, we're almost sold out now. Yeah. Um, OK, well, uh, here's what I really appreciate about skate culture, because uh, I think from, from our generation, I believe we're both Generation X here. Uh, I think I've got a couple extra a couple extra years on you, though. But we're kind of, to me, feel like the last generation where like the worst thing you could possibly be is a sellout and skater skater culture to me, despite all the big money and and you know notoriety that's come into that there's still an ethos of like don't be a sellout I think that that permeates uh that permeates skate culture do you do you disagree or do you think that's the I think that skaters are you know it's it's about the trick it's about the love of doing it it's about the you know having fun it's about
2: or do you think it's all about commerce now. Oh, I don't even know, man. I think I'm pretty far out of it at this point. I just <laughs> don't, still, don't want to get out I, of that rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't even think I have an opinion on any of that. I I uh I'm out of the business of it, you know. I just I know who I what I like and and I, you know, I still get out there and s- rarely in the streets. I'm usually at the parks, you know, and uh falling hurts more these days, but it's still a thing that I do a lot, and a lot of my friends we share that together. So it's a uh,
1: all right. So well, let, let's let's talk about uh, how this movie might inform then like uh, your future work because I know you just did another movie. Uh, you just produced a movie that was at South by, and uh, I assume that you had a lot more money, a lot more crew. It wasn't produced the same way as the sort of uh, rough around the edges, ragged sort of uh, you know run around the street uh, narrative film like Concrete Kids. Would you would you make another movie like this again? Would the uh, was all the blood sweat and tears worth the final result to you or do you say hell no i only want to do it the other way i want to do it where i have all the creature comforts what's your what's your feeling
2: no it's uh i I loved what i what we what we did and i I totally want to do it again and i wrote a movie well i wrote a movie with a, a partner of mine who we wrote it together That i kind of want to make similarly to what we did with concrete kids you know i think i need to step it up just a couple more people but it still would stay really really small and uh it's not skateboarding anything at all it's uh but it's like another adventure and young people and i have a thing for stuff that i write and direct it's like young people doing extraordinary things so everything i keep writing these stories that are adventure stories and like overcoming stuff or like little superhero-esque and it's just you know I don't know why I keep doing not the same thing but it's like a different version of the of what I you know they say right what you know or something I don't know I whatever whatever I've experienced or wanted to experience or didn't get to experience so little versions of that but as a producer I've done you know much bigger stuff and and I'll still do probably bigger stuff and and it's a it's a different game because there I'm helping somebody else be really great or you know a team be is it's producing is very selfless so that's a hard thing to be sometimes but I, I've learned over time to really like I love it you know because it's zero about me it's about everybody else and Directing is I don't think it's necessarily about me, but it's like you're so in it that, mm. you know, you're creatively responsible for the outcome it's and got to have the hand on the wheel yeah. and the produce you're producing your you're you're kind of like covering everyone's ass that has their hand on the wheel. Like you just said, you know, well, trying to just catch everything and be a little bit of support for the whole the whole thing, you know, and uh, two different jobs. But like for some reason as a director I really like the intimacy of, of doing stuff small, but also no one's ever given me ten million dollars to go make something. I'm sure I'd but there's something about like me having direct contact with the guys I'm working with or the actors and, and, and being able to just turn around to the D P and say, Let's do this and go so quick, you know, that when there's these layers of communication and to get shit done, it's just sometimes it's so excruciatingly painful. <laughs> That I'm like, God, dying a the thousand process, deaths, man. I, it's too much, yeah. you know. Um, but you know, when you need to do big stuff, you got to have the right people involved and, and and talent involved to make that stuff happen. So,
1: sure, absolutely. Of course, if you're talking about safety too, mm-hmm. if you're doing that sort of thing. But um, smaller, intimate stories, which don't have a lot of stunts or explosions or gunfire and that sort of thing, you can get away with a lot less. You can get a, you can get away with it and tell a, a great story. Um, yeah, so it's different muscles you're exercising when you're directing versus producing. Tell me about the directing process for you. Uh, you, a lot of directors, I, I would put them into kind of two different camps. You've got uh, very visual directors. They spend a lot of time, uh, video village. <laughs> and I know for, for, for your movie, uh, for concrete kids, uh, video village was a little wireless monitor that you had, you had basically on you the whole time. Uh, there, there wasn't like a big formal video village. It was like off, off to the side of the street and you know, how much range can we get, uh, wherever i was holding it that's right (laughs) that's where it was That was video village so um but for other directors it's not about the visuals it's not about working with the camera it's about uh it's about the relationship with the actors and it's about getting a certain performance out of the actors it's about um you know making the actors feel safe with you that you're guiding them to to a place what what kind of director would you say that 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 you are would you feel more like a visual director more like an actor's director or is this question bullshit? What is it, you know, is it do you break the mold? What what do you uh, what kind of what kind of director are you?
2: You know, I started as an I was an actor before any of this stuff. And I don't know if I was ever very good at it, but I or I didn't do a lot of work to get good at it. And so I think where it comes for me, it's like before you start shooting something, you kind of try to figure out what it's gonna look like. You work with your DP, you look at other stuff, you say, I wanna do this, I wanna look like this, or something like this, or a version of that. You do a little test and then Once you start shooting the movie, like it's not out of your hands, but like it's a machine that's set up to do what we planned. Right. So at that point, you just need to make sure for me, I need to make sure what's going on inside the frame is believable. I think if there's a number one thing I pay attention to, it's authenticity of the performance. And do I believe it's real or is somebody faking it? And if they're faking it, then we do it again. And that's like the, the number one thing for me. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of somebody. I'm air quoting acting. That's, that's what I really rely on. Because if you screw up the other stuff, you, you, you can still get away with somebody on screen, like performing authentically or not performing. And it, it turns out all right. Like, it doesn't have to look the best. It, it needs to sound pretty good, you know. But as long as you've got a scene with people doing real stuff, then then you're you'll make it out all right and the story's good then you'll be i think you would be all right but yeah it's all about the performance or the authenticity of it for me so i work really hard and like with the with the boys and concrete kids we rehearsed a lot you know we rehearsed a ton just so they could learn it and then when it was time to be out there forget that they learned it and just it would be you know second nature so just do the scene in the what we did but have it feel fresh, and uh, but other times you hire actors that are pros, and you don't have to do much with them. You know, you tweak a little bit here and there, but they usually show up and give you something that's really good anyway. You know,
1: the night I spent out with the team on Concrete Kids, uh, we were in Macarthur Park. And uh, I was going to say, you can't get much more real and authentic than mm-hmm. that, that evening in,
2: in MacArthur Park because it was like, it was a little sketchy. It was a little sketchy. So <laughs> sketchy. That place is gnarly. The cops came by. They rolled through the grass in MacArthur Park. And we had a permit that was just for sidewalks, right? We had no permits for anything that we were doing. But I guess we did because we had like street permits, sidewalk permits. You put sticks on the sidewalk. and But kid, like nine-year-old boy, they were 10 when we shot. One was 10, one was 11. And the cops did not say anything once the entire movie about what we were shooting. They were only worried about our safety. They drove through MacArthur Park. And it's like, what are you guys doing? You need to be careful. Like, you should not be out here this late. I, I
1: appreciate the cops uh, not not wanting to get in the way of the production, but just want to tell us, like, you know, hey, look, there's
2: crazies out here. You, you don't know, want to get yourself in trouble. That place is so, crazy. And then we yeah. were getting, like, B-roll on the side in the corner up there down the street, which I forget the cross street at the... Like East Side of Macarthur Park, and it's like the spookiest dead man walking. <laughs> Dude is crazy.
1: Yeah, Macarthur Park uh, late at night. Uh, yeah, there were uh, I will tell you the other thing that that made me feel a little bit like, wow, what, what exactly? Where exactly are, are we? Are, where are we right now? There was a lot of people out. It was not just like like us. It was not us and like maybe one stray person. There must have been a hundred people in the park that night. So, yeah. At yeah. Least. Yeah.
2: <laughs> It's weird. I don't know what happens on there. And and it's funny, like I didn't even, I think normally if I was down there, I would have been scared or like a little freaked out or like we need to get out of here. But we were so busy every night because I had, we did 17 nights, but it was summertime. So it didn't get dark till nine o'clock, dark enough to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids legally had to be done by midnight. Yeah. yeah. So three hours to shoot a full day worth of stuff. You know, we shot three hours a night for 17 days. Which is like one quarter <laughs> of the time to shoot a regular movie, so I was just constant. All right, what do we do next? What do we do next? What do we do next? I had no time to even worry about safety. You know, thank God that's what my producers were there for. But, you know, that,
1: that's right. And 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 let's give a shout out to the producers. You had, you had a couple of great producers. Oh, uh, yeah. People people I met and have become friends with. I mean, tell us about Frankie. Tell us about Pierce. Tell us about you know.
2: Yeah, Frankie's awesome. She's a, she's a good friend. I've known her for a long time and. Uh, she came on and she was so sweet and the boys loved her and they loved her so much they like I said earlier, they started to not like me as much because I was <laughs> off their ass to get like, let's go, come on, quit fucking around because all they did job remember job was to get f- to be <laughs> friendly, you know, to eventually become friends in this movie, right? But yeah, they yeah. were friends within two days and all they did mm-hmm. when they got in the car was like mess with each other. <laughs> and like punch each other and kick each other. So in the break right, exactly in between like takes, <laughs> in between takes, they'd be hitting each other and I'd be like, "You guys, I'm going to kill you if you don't chill." <laughs> and then uh and then Pierce, we had to separate them. So one would go with Pierce and one would go with Frankie at one point. And Pierce I knew from Pierce Cravens. He was an EP on this movie I did called This Isn't Funny that I produced, which we made for not much more than we did Concrete Kids for that's it's on showtime right now actually oh right on um it's been it's had its run it was on netflix for a bit and some other stuff but it really proud of it it was a cool little rom-com kind of kind of thing but i got to know pierce then ian who wasn't there it was the, another producer and then you, Ilya, I was one of the producers. Yeah, so. I've
1: really been downplaying in this interview here, not once tooting my own horn. But, uh, you know, I, I was not the hands-on producer like the way that, that Frankie was or, or even Pierce being out there on set all the time. I was the <clears throat> executive producer yeah. who, yeah, stood, stood in the background and, and you know, helped you guys uh, as, as best I could from, you know, my limited schedule and ability and time and everything else. So.
2: Yeah, but he he gave us the equipment that we were able to shoot this movie with. Yeah, that, that's only a little part of it, though. I it's mean, a
1: huge part for this. Oh. This is a huge part for this movie. It's the painter. It's not the paintbrush, yeah. well, although this paintbrush is pretty cool. Okay, so um, talk about the music. Talk about the
2: soundtrack for this, because, I mean, it's it's got a great
1: soundtrack. Uh,
2: how, how did all that come together? Yeah, music was uh, a lot of work. I don't say that with, like, any exhaustive characteristics. It's just you have to date. We have no money. It's like nothing. It's a lot of songs. I wrote letters to people emails and calls and like i was trying to get far side songs and i was trying to get all this this stuff and uh you know we got a lot of them all the music in there we got for i don't want to say free because nothing's free but they were able to they, they know, were friendly. They were friendly. They were yeah. very, very friendly. And, you know, we were able to promise later when the movie makes millions of dollars that they would get a piece. But I think they liked the story. And I, you know, I always pitched it like, look, this is a bunch of guys and, and girls getting together to make something that we all believe in and that's just small. We're just trying to have some fun out here. Do you want to be part of it? And, you know, that Vampire Weekend song, it's crazy how we ended up getting that. And, you know, just, I guess you'd be surprised if you don't ask. Mm, you know that's right Um, you gotta ask you gotta ask and and then a lot of the music we couldn't get so it's like how do we do this what do we do and then I had two amazing composers Dorian and Fernando and Dorian was like this violinist you know Juilliard trained killer dude that I met um probably when I was while I was shooting just before I was shooting and Fernando's friends with the editor uh editor Pete who's my buddy also obviously and uh fernando was great with beats and remixes and all this stuff so those guys worked together on the on the score itself and then we got uh this hip-hop dude Open mike eagle to record some lyrics for us so fernando made some beats mike recorded lyrics and then the our, le- or our end song which is also in the movie at some point too emily kokel from i think it it's Coco, but I don't know if he's, I'm saying it right. But she's from the band Warpaint. She's a singer, and she wrote some also really, really great lyrics that went on the same song. And between the three of them, made some made three tracks for us to use in the movie that kind of replaced some of these big artists. I mean, these are big artists, but these old school. Sure. I just couldn't get my hands on, and that were like from my, you know, '90s growing yeah. up childhood K-Date. that yeah. I had in the movie as temp music and and whatever, but. They work so well, and it's it's they, so cool. And, and they know, do. They yeah. they
1: they they really they really play fantastic. Um, so, Lige, uh, pre-production, you make the movie. Production, you make the movie. Produ- post-production, you make the movie. And the thing that I think a lot of filmmakers forget about, they just think that someone else is going to take care of it, and it's going it to be a smooth sailing for them, is distribution. Hmm. And this movie definitely had a couple of couple of bumps in the road for yeah. for distribution. It had been done for a while. Looked like it got a deal and was going to go out, and then that didn't happen and now it's got a new deal talk a little bit about uh the trials tribulations the heartache the joy of the distribution process of this
2: movie <laughs> you know i don't know if there's a lot of heartache or a lot of, you know we made this movie small so recoup is small right there were some options for homes for it i just wanted the best one to where i could get my investors some money back and also get the most amount of people to be able to see it and yeah you're right we had a deal and then that fell through and and uh, that's probably all i'm going to say about that no and you don't you don't have to go any yeah, more yeah. than that um, except for that <laughs> yeah. but the orchard came on and you know we had been talking to them earlier on and somebody from their their action sports side of things took a real liking to it you know danny over there and and he's real passionate about it and it and it i think as a distributor because i've done all these indie not all of these but i've done a bunch of different ways of doing it and none of them have felt none of them you know we've gone with somebody that we think was going to be great and then you talk to them for a couple months and then they're gone you know and it's oh yeah it just falls off and it's it's sad because these 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 films are also very hard most of these most of these films these low budget movies are, are really hard to recoup they're really hard to get seen they're really hard to get placement they're um Unless you get a deal with Netflix and Netflix isn't buying movies anymore. You know, they were five years ago, you know, but they're making their own stuff. They don't want to buy concrete kids. We don't think they still might, you know, (laughs) it's not closed there. They haven't passed. Um, And the Hulu, maybe, you know, but if you don't get a deal from one of these big streamers, right, then what's left? You're going up against the other thousand movies that are made this year if not more you know that are going on itunes and google play and amazon and and that's where this movie is right now you can go out and get it but the orchard you know we went through this action sports side of things so we're getting i think a unique avenue into it instead of just going in with a bunch of narrative and being in that we're in with like all the skate docs and the snowboard docs and like look we have a skate narrative that's this you know goonies on skateboards thing and for it just feels good there because they care about it they're 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 a good team and i feel like we have somewhat of a unique avenue into the to the system so we'll see how it plays out you know on may 1st we're scheduled to be on amazon prime for the 100 million amazon prime subscribers in the in the country to watch for free if they use their amazon video um so that'll be really cool if not One of these other things that happens before that. So we'll just have to kind of stay tuned. But there's some stuff in play that's exciting. And I don't know who else I'd rather be with, you know, um, they're really good over there. And we're happy with where we went. But it's yeah, I mean, it's been I shot this movie in summer of 2016, right? Yeah. And it it is currently spring of 2019. Right. So three years later this summer. But let me tell you, we could have had it out a year ago. Sure. Sure. Um, but you got, you got to do the right deal. You got, yeah, you get, you and know. I mean, look, mid nineties came out, skate kitchen came out. These other skate like people are aware of skateboarding again and somebody making a movie that has some skateboarding in it. And this isn't a skate movie as much as it's an adventure movie that's kind of rooted in skateboarding, you know? So we'll see timings, everything timing is is absolutely everything
1: um and and you and you never know it it uh you know lightning can strike and uh lightning, lightning can cannot so but all you can do is the best you can do and put it out there and uh just you know keep plugging away
2: keep- the only thing I'll, I'll say about doing a movie small like this is that means me is responsible for all of this all the deliverables all everything so i'm exporting i'm You know, all of that stuff along the way I have to do because there's nobody else to do it and there's nobody paying for it. So that's the only thing that (laughs) if I could go back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I do like doing this, but I don't want to do this part again just because it's hard, man. It takes up a lot of time and there's other stuff I want to do. So,
1: Uh, oh, yeah, this is not the creative part. This is this is the getting it done part. But, you know, uh, and it's interesting because I do talk about this uh, just recently in another interview. Uh, It's very much like being an entrepreneur. you, You need someone who can work for free guess what that's you if you you're running a business but that business is making this movie and you need to get uh, all the creative stuff done all the technical stuff done all the business stuff done and then you actually have to send it out into the world and if you don't have a lot of other people with you and they're not getting paid guess what you're, you're doing the labor you're you're making that happen but kudos and props for you too for getting it out and it's got to also um look really good to other people out there when they're looking to take a chance on someone who not only did this guy get it done he did like a lot of that work himself like you did a ton of that work not taking anything away from the other people on your team but you you really did you did it all you did it you did a ton of stuff
2: tons of stuff i mean it's good to know how to do it all too you know like i think it's vital you can deliver a movie on your own and you can shoot a movie on your own you really don't have to have anybody else you know if i was confident as a dp you know then it'd be a different story and i really could do it my own and there's a lot of guys i work with on small you know doc stuff that can do that and i admire them because they can go they can shoot edit all of it deliver it i'm not i'm not there but i'm just i'm comfortable with like at least this you know the post and delivering and and you know no one you know premiere and all that stuff is easy to do all that stuff now you don't have to there's not a delivering the movie to the orchard i gave them one file you know and in the sound team oh the sound team i didn't say to them they were in baltimore and they did this thing for for nothing those are my guys at studio unknown they're amazing and they had done a bunch of movies that i've worked on and they came on this just as you know friendly support and believed in it as well so that was another post part in the colorist asa Asa Fox, who did this for nothing, yeah. who I found on, on Mandy.com. I was like, I'm going to look for somebody that's just in between and wants to color a feature for for fun. And there was one there. Like you can find these people. If you look, yeah, yeah, talent is uh talent is hard to find sometimes. So you're very lucky to that. You find such,
1: you found such talented people. And I know when you say nothing, it's never really nothing. You know, I know nothing is, it's nothing is, is figurative, not, not literal. So all, all these, all these people uh, will be renumerated, remunera- in some way. So, but it's uh, the, uh, the fact that though, they're willing to take the journey, the fact that they're willing to do the sacrifice and not have the big payday up front is, is, is what's, you know, it's the magic and the family and the love that goes into the filmmaking process. And I think that uh, actually for a lot of people who have achieved a certain level of success, they might miss that camaraderie. I think that's how you can actually get really talented people, people who have big credits under the belt or decent credits or a history under the belt. But uh, they don't have the camaraderie of like, yeah, we're going to will this into existence from, you know, from just the the sheer sweat equity that we're all throwing into it and that's what concrete kids at least seems to me it seems like something that you willed you know willed from nothing from whole cloth here it is and you got a bunch of other people to believe in what you're doing and you got you got them to all to to paddle the boat in the same direction and then voila here is this thing now three years later which is incredible so
2: yeah i mean i i hope it's to do with you know I think it has to be to do with the project because it's not me. They're not like, oh yeah, Lige, we love you so much. We're gonna come do all the, you know, it's the it's the whole. Well, you're you're the cheerleader though. Yeah. You're the,
1: you're, the, you're the number one, you know, the number one recruiter. So, uh, you know,
2: try to make cool stuff that people want to help with, and
1: that's, yeah, cool cool stuff helps for sure. Yeah. So so Lige, what's what's uh what's next on your plate? I know you're, you you producing another movie. You got, you know you're writing some stuff. Where can people see you next? What do ah, you do? Oh
2: man, I, I'm st- I keep stocking the file cabinet. Mm-hmm. not the file cabinet but the shelves with stuff you know I've got a a show I wrote with my partner Ari that's set up over at Sony I'm working with Will Arnett's company on that's really cool that's exciting yeah it's really exciting so we're in the process of trying to get that thing to a place to go out and pitch which we're really close and uh does it have a title you can say crooks crooks all right yeah yeah it's a fun one it's fun it's way fun nice um and I've got a, another movie and a TV show that I'm working that I'm producing with the directors of Peanut Butter Falcon. Got a few movies that I wrote that are just out in the you're, you're. atmosphere that are we'll see where what's happening. You know, I sent one off the other day that I hadn't touched for like a year and a half. And you know, there's, uh, there's a couple doc projects I've I've got that I've shot some proof of concepts for that I'm that we're currently you know pitching. So there's all kinds of different stuff that's in the in the works. Nice. I got two movies that I'm producing as well. One just came out in the trades like a few weeks ago. So Fantastic. A you're, good cast attached. Well, you're busy. You yeah. Are, yeah. You're, no, you're, I have to be. Cause you know, you can't, I learned a lot, when I used to have one thing going on, you bother a lot of people trying to get that one thing done. Oh yeah, and and absolutely. now it's like you have enough stuff in there in the works that hopefully something happens and hopefully they don't all happen at the same time. And, you know, just keep adding to the pile
1: Well, Elijah, where where can people find you? If they want to look you up or follow you, you on the Instagrams or you on the, the Facebooks? Do you do any of that sort of thing? Do you have a, do you I, have a, a company website, Nutbucket, nothing? Yeah,
2: you got something? Uh, I mean, I, I have a website It's not. It's just got some work on nutbucketfilms.com um, I have a new company that I started called 1993 That doesn't really have a website yet I have my own Instagram, but it's like a personal Instagram There's nothing too exciting on it uh, I don't Twitter I have a Twitter, but I don't tweet. Facebook, I'm rarely on anymore. I've tried to like really get out of the whole.
1: Good on you. I mean, really, legitimately, good on you. I'll tell you, there's a lot of filmmakers out there who I think spend all their time doing social media yeah. and not actually making the movie. So, uh, but good on you for, for actually doing the movie part and saying I, I don't need all this other stuff necessarily. Is there
2: an if you wanna if you wanna watch my baby? grow you can go on my Instagram but that's about it <laughs> no there's a couple there's a movie else, all right well put I'll put, I'll put your
1: Instagram in the show notes
2: so if anyone yeah. wants to wants to, to track you down and follow you that way. I just made a movie with my baby that I just showed you that you should guys should if you do have time to check anything out check that out that's a little like three three minute short short film uh, it's hilarious I,
1: I would easily rank it on something on a funnier diet it's really hysterical I laughed at least five times out loud <laughs> that, it's called baby blue Valentine it's it, on it, YouTube all right. Well, we will we'll put a link for that in the in the show notes. And uh Elijah, is there an official uh, page for the movie at the orchards website or anything yet? Do you know if there's anything where people uh, can
2: find it? I don't know if there's there's a link that the iTunes buy link mm-hmm. or whatever. You, there's can watch, a, you can watch the trailer on iTunes. Yeah, 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 trailer's the out. The trailer's on YouTube through the orchard and echo boom sports which is their action sports it's on that as well so there's a couple trailers there's some t- one or two uh like sneak peek clips that they have put out too on nice. youtube yeah there's a, it's a lot of that stuff out there so
1: search concrete kids on youtube on itunes uh google concrete kids and you're going to come up and see the trailer maybe clips and some extra stuff
2: yeah it's all out there
1: fantastic hey Lige thank you so much for being on the show it's it's been really a pleasure awesome thanks for having me all right, so that was uh, Lige. Lige, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you. I can't wait to check out the movie.
1: You should totally go watch the movie now.
0: I will, because streaming is, as I have established, is the only way to watch movies with a young baby.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so Ben, it's time to pay the bills.
0: All right, I love paying the bills. Uh, paying the L- bills. Let me put my little my little green hat on.
1: Uh, all right, so uh, uh, we got to thank uh, Ari, our wonderful sponsor, for this this thank program. Thank you, Ari. You're the best. Uh, and we need to talk about what is a major new release for Aerie, which is the new Alexa mini. It is the new Alexa mini LF. I've heard about this. Yes. It's a large format mini camera. So the camera is small, but the sensor inside is big. It's bigger than full frame 35. Really? And uh, it looks amazing. In fact, the Alexa mini is a very popular camera. A lot of the, uh, I mean, there was a best picture nominee this year that was, uh, that was shot on that camera. And in fact, Aerie basically swept a lot of the, uh, uh the Oscar movies this year. As Those cameras worked. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're used all over the place, at least as far as the narrative stuff. Uh, as, as
0: always, uh, every cameraman I've ever talked to, that's the camera they want to work with is an Aerie camera.
1: Aerie's got an incredible reputation. They make really great products. And, uh, probably the most anticipated new camera this year is the alexa mini lf and i know there are producers out there are going to say give me the new alexa give me the new alexa mini and this is what they're going to get so it has the same imaging sensor as their already current flagship camera which is just the alexa lf but it's in a newer smaller form factor it doesn't have exactly the same frame rates but has exactly the same imaging and uh it's an incredible camera it it looks i don't know
0: if you know the answer to this but what resolution does it record at
1: it records at 4k okay cool it actually it's got a uh larger than super 35 sensor and there is a mode a uhd mode that is close to super 35 it's a little bit bigger but yeah they have uh they have 4k it's netflix approved at the gate so uh, i think a lot of next netflix programs will use the alexa mini LF. and we already have a bunch of clients at hot rod who are uh, are either adding one of these cameras to their rental house or to their owner operator package or they're uh getting rid of maybe their older camera that they've been using in order to move into this sort of large format feature.
0: were people swarming all over that thing at nab
1: Uh, They were. It was uh, a mob, and they also had a special event here in Burbank at their office, which was uh, insanely popular, super crowded. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of people showed up for that. And uh, as that camera starts to trickle out into the world in the second half of this year, I think you'll hear a lot more buzz about it. Sweet. And now, short ends. All right, so uh, Ben... It is now time to do our short ends. So, uh, do you have a, a, an obsession this week? What are you? I have
0: to? one that I think people are going to love. Okay. What's that? I know I love it. It is another podcast. So, you have to stop listening to our podcast and listen to theirs. It's called. Hey,
1: is that a good idea? You want to send people to another <laughs> podcast?
0: It's called 80s All Over. What? It's these two film critics. Uh, uh, and, and full disclosure, one of them is a pretty good friend of mine, Scott Weinberg. D- I,
1: does he say totally all the time or radical?
0: Uh, or to- totally. Uh, or tubular? Uh, yeah, it, it, tubular. They use tubular. <laughs> nice. They, they say that a lot. So, uh, it's it's two film critics, uh, Scott Weinberg and Drew McWeeny, and they're both like really brilliant, articulate, smart, awesome film critics, and they are going through every movie that was released in the 1980s, starting January of 1980. And every episode is just one month of the 80s. They are up now to, uh, some I think it's like March or April of 1985. Ooh. And you can listen to it in almost any order. And uh, as, as a child of the 80s myself, sometimes... I'll be like, uh, I wonder what, I, w- I wonder if they did your hunter from the future. I wonder if they did, uh, crawl. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I don't know if they've gotten to, Krull. I don't know if, if they've gotten up to the month of crawl yet, but they probably have. Um, wow, all right. That was probably 84, 85, 86 in that range. I want to say it was 86. Okay. Um, but like sometimes, uh, you know, I'll be like, I wonder, I wonder if they saw a wolf in or something and I'll look up, look it up on IMDb and see what month it is. And, uh, and, Every without fail, every time I've looked one up, they've hit that movie because they'll hit like all the major movies, all the movies that are like Oscar nominated, all the prestige movies or big movies. But then they also hit all the random little cult movies and horror movies and basically anything that was released in movie theaters in the 1980s. And they give you a lot of great detail and background. And this is maybe too nerdy and and, and deep, but we were talking about this a little bit earlier. And we I, I had sort of mentioned this when we had Leonard Maltin on here, that I kind of have a fascination with like what modern culture looks like when you're like, you know, in this case, what, 30 years down the road and looking back at it. So like the 80s, we all spoke the same language that we spoke in the 80s and there's a lot of, we have a lot in common, but then you start realizing how different our whole culture is from the 80s and just our, the different values we have, what movies got made, what had currency, you know, and, and I feel like if you go back even, you know, to the 70s, it's even weirder. You know, there are movies in the 70s like Saturday Night Fever that were like giant popular movies then and would have picket lines around the block today if they released them in theaters. Uh, So
1: if I was to say like uh, Footloose, Outsiders, uh, Risky Business, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Escape from New York, The Octagon, Flash Gordon. They've done all of them. They've done all of them. They're They're, They're all part of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they've done and it's not just like liked it didn't like it. Like they've done their research and so they'll go into some detail. I mean, like there's in some episodes they're cramming in 25 reviews. Whoa! I don't know how these guys have enough time to do it. I don't know how they track all these movies down because a lot of them are, you know, not in print in any way. I'm sure they're finding old VHSs or something. Anyway, uh it it's it's just uh it's not just kind of a trip down memory lane for someone from the uh, who grew up in the 80s like I did, but it's also I think a really interesting anthropological, uh, deep dive into what pop culture was, you know, again, recently enough that most of us lived, you know, through it or a lot of people lived through it and are still around. But like, you know, when they talk about it, the, the trends in what, what Hollywood was making or what was finding real purchase with an audience, some of them are, you know, like they'll talk about porkies or something and you're like, again, that movie would, there would be, uh picket lines around every movie theater if you released porkies in theaters today like the i think drew mcweeney literally called that movie a sex crime <laughs> well it is it really is um and it was just good clean fun back then it re- i mean i i remember my parents loved it and and uh but it's it's just very interesting because some movies hold up brilliantly and some movies uh really really don't And also, like, you know, you forget about certain celebrities like, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger was maybe more of like a big celebrity in the mid to late 80s. Sure. But, you know, people who were of uh, different acting qualities then would probably become stars today. But then you realize we're doing the same thing with other people today.
1: Yeah. Think about the cast of, like, Police Academy. Think oh. about like Bobcat Goldthwaite. Think about like all of well, the.
0: Don't, yeah. don't, don't, uh, don't bag on Bobcat. Goldthwait. I'm not, I'm not at all. I, I love I, Bobcat. I think so, he's and the and, highlight of the, of the police yes, academy. Yes, me movies. too.
1: And I would love to have him on the podcast. So like, <laughs> I know I, but I'm just saying like that is like a time, that's like a timestamp. stamp that like that particular, you know, police academy and Bobcat. I mean, it was like, was it, uh, Steve Gutenberg? I mean, it was
0: like, it was a very. Michael Winslow.
1: Yeah. It was very, uh, particular sort of like slightly over the top, slightly fractured sort of like uh universe that those movies take place in. And I feel like they were uh, indicative of a whole subgenre of like movie almost at that time, sort of like screwball comedy, 1980s style.
0: There is a, there is a, a very specific kind of uh screwball comedy and also like sex comedies. Sure. And, and yeah, I mean, it's Goonies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you kind of go down that rabbit hole. I always kind of look at it and go like, what, Because, you know, in a way, the movies that are selling and that are big, but obviously they're covering movies that also bombed, but like the movies that reflect the decade are sort of a mirror being held up by the culture to itself. So the so the movies are sort of what culture was saying about itself, what it valued and and what it stood for at the time. And so, you know, when when that's like Top Gun, what does that mean? Sure. You know, it, yeah. it's it's not a value judgment. Is Top Gun good or is Top Gun bad? It's more just like what what is the cultural value that's being held up that is actually resonating with people enough so they go see it. Also, and they do talk about cinematography and cinematographers a lot on the show. Really. And so, yeah, because because I mean, like you know, there's some amazing cinematography. Obviously, it's a whole decade, so you know, like sure. they're they're hitting the, the best and the worst of of everything. Um, and they'll, you know, like I, I just listened to the one that had the dark crystal. I think it's the newest episode oh, yeah. that had the dark crystal. And they were kind of talking at great length about kind of the cinematography and that, and how amazing that movie looks. You know, and and I think it means a lot as someone who obviously loves cinematography enough to be doing this with you all these low these twenty seven <laughs> years. Um, it's only been five. It's like one episode per year. Um, no, but as someone who's who's fascinated with that, it's always interesting to kind of hear. Or to revisit those movies and be like, you know, what was the cinematography in *Smoking the Bandit 2 like or or a good movie? <laughs>
1: and you're a nice dig on *Smoking the Bandit <laughs> yeah, 2 there. Take so. that *Smoking the Bandit.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's very interesting, uh, you know, because I also think that in the 80s, uh, you know, cinema reached a kind of a different milestone of maturity than it. I mean, it, it's, it's constantly growing and growing and growing and still to this day is. But it's like certain things became very, you know, economically feasible. Sp- certain kinds of special effects, and obviously certain uh, techniques in in filmmaking and cinematography were prevalent then that hadn't that you wouldn't look at the '70s and see those kinds of techniques in a '70s movie necessarily.
1: Yeah, it it definitely. Well, there was new film stocks. There was uh, the ability to actually shoot uh, much faster film stocks in yeah. the
0: lower light. Um, and I mean, you have kind of the, I mean, like Spielberg uh, was obviously already around, but you have like Spielberg really coming into his own in the 80s. For sure. You know. E.T. Yeah. That I mean, it's like not a, a dig on any of his 70s work. His 70s work is amazing, but, no, like, and, and but he dominates the 80s. It's true he really he, he really does and uh, one might argue that his
1: films of the 70s may have had more of a uh I, I don't know maybe a, a less spit and polish gloss that maybe is would be yeah. more welcome compared to like his later work but uh but yeah that's uh yeah the 80s is when he owned the box office it, so, was, a, it was a Spielberg movie and people and people showed up in droves
0: so and I, I have yet to sign up for their patreon but I intend to uh, and on their patreon they get like real 80s uh, filmmakers and actors and stuff and they do interviews that are all bonus features that Patreon people get. But honestly, just check out the podcast. Um you can kind of do it in any order. Like find a movie that you like from the 80s and and you know, again at this point they're only up to 1985. So find a movie you like between 1980 and 1985 and listen to that whole month and kind of put it all in context. Like, you know, just you'll 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 pick up weird little factoids like uh like one of my favorites is like Gremlins and Ghostbusters were released the same day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and movies were in the theater a lot
0: longer. And uh, I remember
1: seeing Ghostbusters before I saw Gremlins, but did see them both in the theater.
0: Also, movies got re-released, so like Raiders of the Lost Ark would be in the theater, and then they'd that's bring right. it, they'd bring it back like two years later.
1: Oh yeah, that that was that was fun. They'd have revivals, and then suddenly, yeah. like they they'd get a whole new box office but, uh, and
0: it's draw. Been, yeah, it's because you know it's a, people it, missed it, and there wasn't another way to see it. Yeah, there was. I mean, even if there was home video, it was a vastly inferior way to see it. It wasn't like today where you know Netflix is. You know, watching a movie on Netflix quality wise is going to be an amazing experience for you. It's different than going to a theater, but it's, you know, you're not going to look. You're not looking at a terrible looking picture. VHS was a terrible looking picture.
1: Often was horrible. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the whole reason that uh, other standard deaf but higher definition formats came into being like Laserdisc and eventually DVD. So, I mean, it's because VHS was and Blu-ray. Well, Blu-ray, yes, but Blu-ray now high definition. So, yes. So uh, so my my short end this week is uh, everything to do with what's the shaping the landscape of original programming in this uh, original era of streaming services. So I guess the way to condense this into a soundbite as to what I'm going to write in the description of the show is um, who's a player
0: and who's not. Well, and and that'll change between the time we record this and, you know, next week when you release it.
1: Yeah, exactly. But uh, perhaps the biggest news was YouTube getting out of original programming. Uh, Deadline reported uh, earlier this month that... uh, Four original scripted shows were canceled, and they also canceled all of their pitch meetings. Interesting. Yeah, and they were going to be a big player. Of course, YouTube owned by Google, and this all kind of came right on the heels of Apple saying that they are getting into original programming. So, And they had an announcement. I think it was like $9 billion or some, some huge amount of money that they were going to spend on original programming. And I think uh, Google, parent company of YouTube, was like, maybe we should sit this out. Maybe we should not go head-to-head with, with that. Since well,
0: I mean, they must know what kind of a product they have in YouTube, which like the product of YouTube is the container. And you know, it wasn't until YouTube became a thing that I started hearing people talk about like, be a content creator. It's like, oh, I'm making the filling in your wonderful website. Like, you know, before that it was like, you're making the film, you're a filmmaker. No, no. Now you're a content person. And, uh, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that's not
1: film. There's a lot of stuff that's not, well,
0: and it's, it's not, I mean, it's entertaining like YouTubers, you know, unboxing videos and stuff like that. Um, you know, or PewDiePie or there, you know, there's, there's a bunch of those things and it's like, they're not, they're obviously entertaining people. And I'm not here to crap on anyone who likes watching. No, not at all.
1: It's, It's, it's different strokes for different folks, but it's
0: also like, it's not a, it's, I guess you could just say it's an unconventional entertainment. I mean, like, I'm sure that those unboxing videos are outrageously popular. I, I, I know we released one last week. <laughs> so. I, I have, you know, only once in my life uh, ever watched an unboxing video, and it's because I was buying a product. I was buying a sit-stand desk. Uh, which I really only sit at.
1: Well, uh, well we're actually uh, we're doing unboxing videos that are only sixty seconds long. Yeah. So uh, we've decided to do the whole thing like in time lapse, so you get
0: to see what's inside of it without actually having to watch. it. But it's like you know people recording. who like buy Disney collectibles and they just you know kind of fetishize. But like those things are very popular, and it's like cool. Uh, who would have known that uh, watching somebody else play a video game was going to be you know a, a huge uh, generator of revenue? The cool. Twitch. Those are the people who yeah. know. Those people know. I mean, and it, and again, like I'm not here to crap on any of that, but I remember I had like a weird crisis moment where a friend of mine worked at uh, Maker Studios years ago. Sure. And I had been hired by a company that no longer exists, so I won't name them. Um, no longer a player. No longer a player, but they were sort of doing what Maker did, where they were like aggregating YouTube, um, you know, influencer types. They call it the Multi Channel Network, M C N. Yeah, yeah. So they they were one of those, and uh, and I I was hired to do camera. Mm for a Q and a of these people. And I watched their videos. I, this is the mistake is I watched their videos. Yeah. After, you should after the never Q&A. have done that. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, like how many millions of people are watching these and millions and, and millions and they were garbage. And I called my friend who worked at maker and I'm like, is this the future of filmmaking? Because if it is, I need it's to, not. I need to go it's learn not how future. to sell insurance or something. <laughs> and yeah, he was like, no, no, no. He's like, this is just think of it more like stand-up comedy. Like these guys would have been like at, at their local, uh, you know, laugh hut um doing amateur night but this I, is how they can do it now yeah well
1: now it's also a combination of reality television with the sort of vlogging that goes on with, yeah. with all of this and yeah uh and and not taking anything away youtube what it does on a really great level is to inform and to educate although uh this
0: is something and, that, and to radicalize
1: <laughs> oh my god don't let's not, let's not talk about radicalization let's leave that that one little <laughs>
0: Hard out of here, but I will tell you what. You started by looking at a video of butterflies and you ended <laughs> on Nazis. How did that happen? And. and- I will tell
1: also say that like their their advertising algorithm not so great. I'll tell you that like my my children clicked on some video the other day something that was totally appropriate for them, but then they saw an advertisement for like malt liquor or hmm. for uh, whiskey or I don't remember what it was, but I was like, yeah, that's right, advertising to the to the, the you know the under the under twelve year old category. So uh, anyway, but my. Uh, but getting back to the point of who's a player and who's not, well, Apple's getting into this space in a really big way. I know that some of these uh, different sort of apps or what they call now the OTT, the over-the-top yeah. networks, which are- That's what
0: Shutter is. I and mean, I just did a podcast for them, but Shutter is mostly uh, like they're a horror network like Netflix is, is a movie network, and they do horror and thriller, and they're also branching out and doing original stuff like their Creepshow series and uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs and stuff like that.
1: So what might what might be happening in the future is stuff that looks more like an Apple TV or a PlayStation or even just your TV that you that you buy at Best Buy or at Costco or wh- wherever you bring home and you turn it on like now here instead of having channels you've got like 20 different apps 30 different apps Each one of those apps might have a different
0: interface, might have a different thing. Somebody needs to figure out how to aggregate that and make it just look like a channel guide, though, because it it really is kind of frustrating to navigate all the different apps.
1: You know, TiVo is actually doing that right now. TiVo is actually uh, aggregating streaming content and broadcast content, cable content, and they have a unified search. You can search in one place, and it searches all those things. That's really
0: good, because we had the Amazon Fire Stick for a while, and that one would always prefer to look on Amazon. Of course. <laughs> That's that was their, their and, whole game. And yeah. then we switched to Roku. And Roku is I, I think uh, I mean they're all they're all good. You can do whatever you want in all of them. But uh, I, I think I, I prefer Roku a little bit. But uh, yeah. Uh, the the thing about the streaming services though, like like the the ground is rather uneven. You know, obviously Apple is gonna be able to weather the storm but like
1: they're a trillion dollar company.
0: But like I uh, I had a pitch meeting um eh, maybe a year, year and a half ago at a company called Fullscreen, which I think is still around, mm-hmm. but they were also, you know, one of those multi-channel networks. And then on top of that, they were getting into the original content business, and they had a feature that they had uh, acquired, and they had me come in and pitch it. And I, uh, I, I think I can, I can safely say I pitched the fuck out of it, and uh, and they were really excited. And Did they buy it in the room? Uh, no, well, it was their it was their script, so, oh, okay. so they had to decide if I was going to direct it. Uh, gotcha. And then and they called my agent, and they were very excited about the meeting they had with me. And then like two weeks later, the whole division of full screen that made original content was folded. Uh, and um, and, and you know, as, as, as you're talking about YouTube, I I didn't get a job. I, I probably shouldn't talk about jobs I didn't get. But a few years oh, ago, no. <laughs> I was interviewed to direct a movie for a giant YouTube uh, channel called Smosh, and they made a movie called Ghostmates. And it was made for YouTube Red, and which uh,
1: which now is going to be a music service. So it's
0: maybe. like I wonder what happens to that though. It's like you know a whole crew of people worked on that. I mean, they made the movie. I think Tim Robbins' son directed it. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. I I, I uh, didn't subscribe to YouTube Red, so, so I haven't seen it. But I did read the script, and uh, obviously because I I pitched to direct it, but um. Uh, it, but it, I'm like, what what then happens to all this content that they created? This is just do they just delete it. Do they put it on Amazon? Do they put it on YouTube for free? Like, what do they do?
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and I can't t- answer that question because I, I don't know where it went. But I will tell you, if you look at sort of the landscape of who's shaping up to be players, I would not have thought that CBS CBS All Access was really going to be a thing. But they have two wildly successful, and I say wildly successful because uh, there seems to be buzz and people talking about it, and I hear people talk about it with regularity. The Star Trek series, mm-hmm. the reboot, and now the Twilight Zone reboot with Jordan Peele. And let yeah, me tell yeah. you, like, I don't.
0: Twilight Zone was what got me over the edge. Like, I, I subscribed to it as soon as it was, as soon as Twilight Zone was on the offering. Like, I, I mean, I like Star Trek, but I can't not have the new Twilight Zone. I feel like
1: you know, with the success of Get Out and Us now, uh, what perfect timing and perfect place to Put Jordan Peele in a new Twilight Zone series, and uh, it's 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 really great from what I've seen so far. And see, so CBS Player, some of these new OTT services, as uh, and if that's not in your vernacular, it will be soon. Uh, OTT, I'm hearing uh, left and right. Uh, as it stands
0: for over the top.
1: Over the top, which meaning that uh, it didn't require some other uh, network or service to bring it to you. Although there is some of that happening, too, with like stars folding into like Hulu. So, yeah, you through Hulu, you can subscribe to stars. You can also
0: do it through Amazon.
1: Through Amazon. Amazon, there are all these different aggregations. And uh, I'm already hearing about people saying like, well... If this service doesn't work out that well, we expect this other service to acquire them or acquire their library or acquire their content. So that, well, that deep library of like 20th Century Fox is probably very valuable.
0: On for... Criterion is doing their own channel now.
1: And I will tell you, I am enjoying the hell out of Canopy. Who would have thought the public library?
0: Canopy is the best, right?
1: Yeah, but uh, hearts, the canopy is incredible. Hearts Beat Loud, which I couldn't find anywhere, is on Canopy. And it's, it's a great movie from a year ago if you haven't seen it. I highly recommend
0: it. I so. have not seen that one, yeah. Um, and you know, also kind of to what I was saying about Shudder. So Shudder is owned by AMC Networks. Mm. And I don't really know what the bigger uh, business plan is here, but I can easily see, you know, like AMC owns, uh, I believe they own IFC and Sundance Now and Lifetime. And those are all kind of niche networks. So I can easily see them saying like, okay, so we're going to take the lessons we learned on Shudder, which is like we're gonna go after the, the horror and genre audience. So, you know, it's like, define it somewhat broadly. It's like horror and thrillers and even movies like True Romance that aren't really horror movies but appeal to that audience. Um, we're gonna take that and, we, and we, could a, we could apply that to the lifetime audience. And to me, the in, in the case of Shudder, it's brilliant curation. So I feel like you get someone who's really in that audience who knows how to program to curate a whole network. And I feel like it's, it's not that you can't lose, but I feel like there's, there's fewer hoops to make people jump through now. Like, you know, people of pretty much any age if they have a television that was made in the last five years they can probably do this without that much extra learning
1: no or extra expense yeah so it's uh and i I will tell you that if you want to get creative and start your own network that is going to be coming to you soon too so everyone can have their own network and app and thing just it's a matter of time
0: enjoy my network
1: (laughs) exactly so uh so ben i think that just about does it for this episode Uh, where can people find you
0: uh, you can find me hanging out with a baby all day long, <laughs> making sure that he uh, eats food and doesn't choke.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, that, that's uh, you got a one year old now, so. I do.
0: He's about to turn one on May the 4th. Wow. May the 4th be with him. Wow, on Star Wars Day. Yes. <laughs> I hope he likes Star Wars because he better. But um, uh, people can find me at uh, BenrockOnline.com. I'm also on the Twitter at Neptune Salad. Uh, and pretty much anywhere else you can find people. If you look for me on Facebook, there I am. Look for me on Instagram, there I am. Uh, you can find me at Hot Rod Cameras. You can find me on also the uh,
1: typical places. And hey, I want to just throw out a quick uh, reminder to our listeners or people who are listening to this who have not subscribed, please subscribe. Definitely do that. Leave us a review if you liked it. Subscription
0: you, costs you nothing, man. Just do it.
1: Yeah, you could hit the button. You could write a review. You could just give us like a certain number of stars. You know, we have like... 44 five-star reviews and i saw we finally got someone who didn't like us they get they left us like a one-star review so thankfully ah. thankfully that one-star review person there wasn't enough of those so we still have five stars you're not got really up.
0: like you're not a viable thing until somebody hates you yeah so that's, that's right we,
1: we finally have broken through and got it yay, our, yay our someone first. hates us yeah. i'd like to thank our <laughs> hater uh Yes uh, and uh, now that we've got a hater we're, we're legit that's 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 word it is we, we, we've achieved legitimacy. So um, yeah find me at hot ride cameras. Uh, ben let's thank our uh, wonderful uh, editorial staff of uh, Abby Corbett and Ben Katz. thank you so much guys. Thank we got thank our Abby and
0: Ben you're, you're both awesome and you make us sound less stupid so I <sighs> appreciate it
1: yeah and that's hard work. So Alana Cody, thank you so much for producing this show.
0: Uh, every scrap of music you heard in this was uh, composed by Kays Alatrachi.
1: Yeah, Kays. Uh, keep, uh, keep banging out the great music. So uh, Yeah,
0: even though we're reusing all the same cues. But yes, keep keep banging <laughs> out the great music, Kays. Uh, check him out at musicbykays.com. And, you know, honestly, just tell him that you heard him on here and you like his work. He's a nice guy.
1: Hey, follow us on, like, the places where people follow things. We're on Instagram. We have, a you know, a few, I don't know, a few followers there and some nice pictures and things. So follow us there and uh, follow us on the Facebooks. So you can like our page and all of that.
0: That about wraps it up.